Welcome to Trailblazer Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Rob. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is 101 Basic Mechanics. This is part of our second edition 100 series all about playing the game. In today's episode, we're going to teach you everything you need to know to sit down and play a game of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, even if you've never played a tabletop RPG before. Robert, what is Pathfinder? Pathfinder describes itself in the core rulebook as a fantasy tabletop role-playing game, or RPG, where you and a group of friends gather to tell a tale of brave heroes and cunning villains in a world filled with terrifying monsters and amazing treasures. More importantly, Pathfinder is a game where your character's choices determine how the story unfolds. That puts an incredible amount of pressure on there. Are your villains not cunning? Is your gameplay and story not amazing? Technically not Pathfinder. <laughs> Uh, it's essentially you and your friends get together and roleplay characters adventuring through a fantasy world. There's lots of ways to play, ways that involve like a lot of acting and dramatization, to ways that get rid of all that and you just strategically move pieces around a board to defeat combat scenarios, and there's everything in between. It's one of the beautiful things about TTRPGs. So let's talk about roles in this game. Well, first off, you're going to need some players, usually two to five. Uh, you can't get away with one. You can go more than five. It's kind of up to you. Uh, players control one character that represents them in the game. Uh, we call this a player character or PC. And then you have your game master or GM. GMs control everything else from other characters you meet to the plot to even the environment to the rewards you get, all that stuff. Today's episode won't cover everything a GM needs to know. For that, listen to our 201 GMing Basics episode. We're going to focus on the players today. All right, so I guess the next question is, what do you need to start? Well, each person is going to need a set of RPG dice. RPG dice are dice that get propelled by rockets. <laughs> Robert, I appreciate that laugh. I know it wasn't genuine and you were just <laughs> attempting to make me feel better because it wasn't a good joke, no, but I love you and I appreciate you always having my back. It's so ridiculously bad. <laughs> <laughs> RPG dice are a variety of different sided dice. We usually call them D number, depending on the number of sides. So your traditional die that you'll find in like Monopoly, we'll call it a D6 because it's got six sides. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you'll need six kinds of dice. A D4, a D6, a D8, a D10, and a D12. And most importantly, a D20. A D20 is what you'll be rolling the most. The good news is, almost anywhere you can buy dice, you can buy a set of these specific dice packaged together because they're so commonly used in TTRPGs. Uh, I would also recommend having multiple dice sets per person uh, in most of uh, Pathfinder material. You're going to be rolling a lot of D6s at a time, and with the way weapon runes and stuff work, you'll be rolling multiple of almost any die except for a D20. Um, I would also recommend purchasing a microwave and possibly an extension cord. For those times that the dice betray you and you must punish them? Correct. So you'll take the dice that have failed you, you'll put them in the microwave, array the other dice around it so they can bear witness to the execution. <laughs> you know, I've met some people that get really superstitious about dice and be like, I'm not rolling this ever again. It's obviously <laughs> cursed. Yeah, they put it in the failure bucket. The failure bucket. I'm not going to get rid of them because I did buy them. So they're mine now, but they will be shamed. Or they could be a cursed item in a garage sale. Mm, adventure, look at these dice. Perhaps you'd want to purchase <laughs> them. You have like, It's like the devil trying to sell you something that tricks, except here it just rolls one more often than usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this item will curse your soul. This <laughs> the, actual, the devil is the one selling it. He finds it just as valuable. What I've done here 
listeners, if you can't tell, is I've given you the components to make a good joke. And I'm going to let you just piece it together because I couldn't be bothered to actually do it properly. And I couldn't be bothered mean I'm not talented enough. Robert, what else do we need? All right. Well, uh, each player is going to need a character sheet. Physical ones you can print out or photocopy out of the back of the core rulebook. There's digital ones as well that you can fill out like a PDF or even special programs that will help you manage your character sheet all digitally. Mm -hmm. The next thing you'll need is a game map for the group to share and some tokens to represent your characters. This is usually a grid made of dry erase board so you can write and erase and use it over and over and over again. The tokens can be anything. A lot of people use figures. There's a big community around like creating and painting your own figures. But they can even be like bottle caps or coins. There are online versions of all these things. You can play with nothing but a computer if you want. I've seen online dice rollers, virtual tabletops, online character sheets, all this stuff. All right. So what do you use all of these things for? Uh, The dice are what you use to determine if you fail or succeed at something. Game mat is what you use to move your characters around for the combat encounter parts of the game. Character sheet contains all the statistics that represent your player character or PC, your ancestry, elf, cat folk, human, etc. And your class, how your character is trained, for example. Wizard and Barbarian. You can listen to our Ancestry Overview series to learn about the different ancestries and our class overview series to learn about how each of the classes work. These are all important parts of your character. And for all the very specific details about how to fill out a character sheet, please listen to our 107 character creation episode. All right, Robert, I've got everything I need. I'm sitting down with my friends. Hopefully they're my friends. We start playing. What do I do? All right, Caleb. I would like to walk over to the bartender and say, Madam, have you seen anything suspicious happening in the past few days? And at that point, uh, myself and Caleb might act or roleplay back and forth. Uh, Me as my PC and him as the bartender or uh, non-player character or NPC. But that's not always the case. Uh, Many people play this game who don't want to roleplay that much. So instead of acting back and forth, you might just dictate what you do. For example, in this case, I'd say, well, I'd like to ask the bartender if she's seen anything suspicious. And Caleb might reply with, she tells you about a man in a black cloak who shows up every night. Yeah, very important point there. Uh, in my youthful ignorance, I would I was always promote the way I like to play. It was very stupid of me to do. Really, the way you like to play is the way you should do it. I love the acting, so that's always the way I'd promote doing it. But some people don't want to act. That's perfectly fine, and you dictate it in that manner, and you can still play the game just as well. Different strokes for different folks, as they might say. So sometimes when you decide you want to do something, you'll want to determine how well your attempt goes. That's when your character sheet and the dice come into play. So let's say you want to pick a lock. Your GM will tell you to roll a thievery check. What's that? Well, on your character sheet is a list of skills. These represent how good you are at different tasks. In this case, thievery is a skill that represents how good you are at picking locks and stealing things. So to resolve this thievery check your GM asks you to make, you'll roll the d20, that's the 20-sided die, and add the number next to thievery to get your result. Remember, the d20 is what you use for the vast majority of checks. The GM will then compare your result to a number either he or the rulebook has set. We call this a DC, or difficulty class. No one calls it a difficulty class. It's kind of a dumb name, so we just say DC. (laughs) Remember earlier I said, you know, in my youthful ignorance, I would say things are just one way because that's the way I feel about them. That's not the case here. I am actually correct here. It's a dumb name. If your result is the same or higher than the DC, you succeed. If it's less, you fail. You win all ties. For example, maybe the DC for that lock is 10. You roll a 5 on the D20. You have a plus 7 to your thievery skill. We call that plus 7 your modifier. This makes your result a 12, and you succeed and pick the lock. Congratulations. You now know a key mechanic, how to make checks. You'll use this in all sorts of things. 
It's a key mechanic. I see you, Caleb. All right. I know I set a precedent of making bad jokes, but can we not use puns, please? (laughs) I'll do my best. So you can listen to our 102 skills detailed episode for a breakdown of all the skills in detail. I know I'm throwing out other episodes at you. I want to let you know this isn't just like an ad for our podcast because a good ad isn't just saying, hey, here's all this other stuff. I'm hoping just make a show you like, and that's why you look at other episodes. But all these topics are like really big. So like here, I'm teaching you how to make a skill check, but you might wonder what does every skill specifically do? That's a large question I can't answer in this episode. So we're just pointing you to an episode where we will spend a lot of time answering those questions. Today's episode is like a big, broad overview of how to play the game. However, if you want to go in more in depth, there are other episodes in this series. It's what it's designed for that will explain these things in more detail. All right, Robert, I'm done picking the lock. Now there's a lot of ruckus going on in town. I want to go attack these goblins that are raiding the town. Can I do that in this game? Absolutely. Combat is a huge part of this game, and some people play this game almost exclusively using combat. Uh, Combat is broken down into rounds. Each round, every character gets to take a turn. Each turn, you get three action. Want to move? That's an action. Want to attack? That's an action. Everything you do is measured in actions, and you'll find symbols next to everything you can do that tell you how many actions something takes. That's one of the great things about this system is how simple the action system is, and those little symbols that are so great. Oh, I see three of those symbols that cost three actions it's so simple so basic i love it Uh, you'll also get one reaction per combat round Uh, a reaction is something you can do even when it isn't your turn uh, but only when something else happens to trigger it for example you might have the attack of opportunity reaction which allows you to attack someone if they move near you and whereas you get three actions a turn you'll only get one reaction a turn so the first thing that happens one of the famous lines you hear when people play these games is roll initiative It determines what order everyone gets to take their turns in. In this game, usually you'll roll perception, but if you're doing something else right before the combat, you might be able to use that. For example, if you're sneaking and you roll initiative, you can use the stealth skill instead of perception. Okay, Caleb, but how do I hit things? How you resolve an attack is determined by what exactly you're doing. If you're attacking with a weapon, such as a sword or bow, you make a strike action. The strike action works much like a check. This time you're using your attack modifier, which is listed next to your weapon, instead of your skill modifier. And instead of a DC, the result is compared with your opponent's armor class, AC, another sort of silly thing that I'm glad we use acronyms for. Just like with the skill check, you're looking to get equal or greater to succeed. If you succeed, that's called a hit. Now it's time for that sweet, sweet damage, baby. Next to your weapon should be its damage. You roll and the result is the damage the enemy takes. For example, you want to strike your opponent with your sword. Your character sheet shows a plus seven modifier to your attack. So you roll a d20 and get 10, add seven, and your GM will compare that seven total with your opponent's AC. The enemy's AC was 15, so you hit. Uh, your character sheet shows your weapon does 2d6 plus 4 damage, so you roll 2d6s for a total of 7, then add the plus 4 modifier to your damage for a total of 11. So now you've done 11 damage to the enemy. Nice, easy. No complicated math, locally. Now if you attack with a spell, how you resolve it is dependent on the spell. Most often your opponent will have to roll a save. There are three kinds of saves. Reflex save, which kind of presents your dodging. Fortitude save, which kind of represents the strength of your body to resist something. And will save, which is sort of the strength of your mind to resist something. To roll save is another check, so you know how to do it already. This time you use your saves modifier. For example, if you're going to cast blindness at someone, which calls for a fortitude save, uh, you'll check the DC. In this case, it's going to be 13. They roll a d20 and get a 4. 
add their fortitude modifier of 5 for a total of 9. They got less than 13, and because they failed, they became blind. And other spells just work. For example, if you cast a beneficial spell on yourself or an ally, it just takes effect. No kind of save or math required. Nice. Now, something super cool that I've first seen introduced in this game is degrees of success. If you succeed by 10 or more, or you roll a natural 20, you get a critical success. Natural is the term you use for what number actually shows up on the die. So a natural 20 means you rolled and you see the number 20 on the die. If you fail by 10 or more or roll a natural 1, you get a critical fail. For most skill checks or spells, it's listed what the critical success or failure means. But for many damaging spells like Fireball, a pretty iconic spell that just does fire damage, it'll list a basic save. What's a basic save mean, Rob? Basic save means if they critically succeed on a save, they will take no damage. If they succeed, they take half damage. If they fail, they take full damage. And if they critically fail, they take double damage. Nice. You'll see that pretty often, and it's pretty easy to remember. Well, Robert, I critically failed. I've taken a ton of terrible, terrible damage. I'm on the ground. I'm on fire. Robert, I'm dying. What do I do? (laughs) Well, uh, you have hit points, like in many games, and most enemies will die when they run out of hit points, but PCs are special. When your PC takes enough damage that your hit points fall to zero or below, you become unconscious and can't really do anything. You adjust your initiative to the turn before the creature that downed you. You're giving a dying value, and each turn you make a recovery check to try and reduce that value. Once you get that dying value to zero, you awaken with one hit point. I just threw a lot of words at you. Let me make it clear. When you get reduced to zero HP, you get dying one. If it was a critical hit that did that, then add one to that to make it dying two. On your turn, you make a recovery check, which is a flat check. A flat check means you just roll the dice and you don't add any modifiers. So it's a flat check with a DC of 10 plus your dying value. If you succeed, you reduce it by one. If you fail, it increases by one. And if you critically fail, you actually increase it by two. Or if you critically succeed, you actually reduce it by two, which is nice. If you stabilize this way, you gain one point of the wounded condition. And conditions are status effects on your character. Wounded is a condition that increases your dying value by your wounded value every time you go to zero hit points. So say I got down before I recovered, I now have wounded one. I go down again to a normal hit. Instead of dying one, I'm starting at dying two. I understand this is like a little complicated, you're saying. It actually is. But you can accomplish more when things are a little more complicated. So everyone agrees this is a little complicated, but you'll get used to it pretty quick. And it ends up sort of paying off. It's actually a really cool thing you can do, though, to sort of avoid all this complication. And that is you can spend all of your hero points to bring yourself back to one HP without making any checks or even increasing your wounded condition. Hero points? Robert, what are those? I'm glad you asked. Hero points are a resource you can use to re-roll checks. You will gain one hero point at the start of each session, and you get an extra one every hour, and the GM can give them out as rewards as well, save for exceptional roleplay. You can only use one hero point each round, however. Listen to our 203 Combat Detailed and 204 Magic Detailed episodes for an in-depth explanation of how combat and magic work. Now, we've given you most of the tools that you need to sit down and play, But there are some more game concepts that are sort of core to the game that are come up a lot that you should know. So one big concept is ability scores. You'll see them in a lot of role-playing games. In this game, you have strength, dexterity, constitution, charisma, wisdom, intelligence. These numbers form a lot 
about the rest of your character sheet. And when you're building your character, you'll actually set those up to make your character good at certain things. For example, if you're good at strength, you can hit people better with weapons. If you're good at dex, you can hit people better with you know ranged weapons, that sort of thing. Certain casters need good charisma. These are like important concepts to your character. Uh, there's also the proficiency system. Uh, there's a couple different tiers. You've got untrained, trained, expert, master, and legendary. Your characters will acquire different proficiencies at different rates and many different categories. This is for spells, weapons, skills, mm-hmm. your actual class DC for specific abilities to your class. Some classes are going to be better at certain things than others. That's sort of the nature of the game. Right. Yeah, the proficiency system is a big way to differentiate what some characters are better at than others. So the bonuses, this will come up a lot. So these are good to memorize to get down. If you're untrained, you don't get a bonus. If you're trained, you get your level plus two. If you're expert, it's your level plus four. If you're master, it's your level plus six. And if it's legendary, it's your level plus eight. So to be untrained really hurts because you're not even getting your level. And when degrees of success come into play, being trained versus legendary in a skill, for example, is a massive difference. Rolling a plus two bonus rather than a plus eight could be the difference between a critical success and just a regular success when you really need it. It also could be helpful just to communicate core concepts about your character. Or how good are you at uh, picking this lock, John? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a legendary thief. So, oh, you already get the idea there without having to throw the number at them. Oh, I'm trained in heavy armor, so I can use it. Those sort of things. The feat system is another integral and very important and very cool part of the system. Feats are ways that your character can do sort of extraordinary things. There's a couple kinds. Class feats are feats that modify the way your character can interact with the world regarding your class's mechanics. For example, your cleric's power to use healing hands now uses d10s instead of d8s. You picked a feat to make that happen. And skill feats let you use your skills in unique ways. You know, when you intimidate someone, you have a chance to now scare them literally to death. (laughs) Feats are really cool, and they're the biggest way you make your character different than other people's characters, in my humble opinion. My fighter can be completely different from Rob's fighter, which can be completely different from 30 other people's fighters because of the combination of feats that we pick. Our episode 107 Character creation is going to go over how to make your characters, and it's going to talk a lot about feats. Another part of character creation is going to be the backgrounds and ancestries. Backgrounds are what your character has done in the past. They're going to inform some of your skills, some of your attribute boosts. Uh, Ancestries uh, will also come into that. Uh, But more importantly, your ancestry is what race you are to use old terminology, such as whether you're an elf, a dwarf, or a human. So yeah, your background is is when you're building your character, you say, oh, I wanted to be a blacksmith before I began adventuring. There's a blacksmith background, and then you get something that kind of lets you do something kind of blacksmithy. You can do yourself a favor. Go to page 469 of the core rulebook to look at the list of basic actions. These are things like, you know, moving, which they call stride, or striking, which is, you know, attacking. These sort of things. A nice little list there. Uh, We'll go into more detail in the combat detailed episode, but it's a good thing to familiarize yourself with. Let's talk about ways to play. We have dungeon crawls. Dungeon crawls are usually an experience where you're going to be literally crawling through dungeons with uh, you and your friends. It's very combat focused. There's going to be lots of traps, lots of treasure to find along the way. You'll be spending a lot of time away from civilization, only going back to rest, sell stuff, get more stuff, and go back to the dungeon. So what you're saying, Robert, is that my life is a dungeon crawl. (laughs) (laughs) 
It sounds to me like you're living the dream. <laughs> uh, another way to play is adventure paths. These are predetermined story beats for you to read from a book as a GM. Basically, you'll present the environment and the scenario to your players. It's all listed out for you. That includes monsters, loot, experience progression, and your players will have to kind of navigate whatever story it is that the path has set out for it. Mm-hmm. You can go about doing this yourself. When you do it yourself, this is what is typically referred to as homebrewing. And any of these two, adventure paths or homebrew, can have dungeon crawl elements within them. Yeah, most adventures and stories have dungeons in them. The dungeon crawl is just like, that's the only reason you play the game. Whereas like the, the homebrew, the adventure path usually has some role-playing elements in there. And a story to figure out, or a grand mystery or something. If you're if you're just starting out, I initially want to say, you know, grab an adventure path. That way, you know, a lot of this stuff is taken care of for you. But if I'm gonna go off of my experience, you know, really what what really drew me to this game was homebrewing, was being a GM who was coming up with all this stuff. That was the fun part for me. I, I'm I'm so happy I didn't start with an adventure path. I also greatly regret not starting with an adventure path because I made so many mistakes and my story was just bad. But I played with a lot of new players, so all of us were new. So, like, not so long ago, I remember apologizing. I'm like, I'm so sorry you had to be there witnessing my awful foray into storytelling and GMing. And they they said, hey, it's okay. It was our first time playing. We all learned together, and that that was a great experience. Yeah, my experience was the opposite. I don't think they actually had any adventure paths when I started. But we did have these big campaign settings books like uh, Forgotten Realms, for example. We created our own adventures within the framework of Forgotten Realms. And that's a perfectly viable way of getting things started as well. If you don't have time to build an entire world for yourself, just reading campaign setting stuff is a good jumping off point. Definitely. Another important part about your character is equipment. Equipment is a great way to sort of customize your character and how you're going to use your abilities. We're going to have a whole episode on that, 105. You can listen to that to get more details. All right. Now let's talk about some things that just ordinarily come up quite a lot when Mm -hmm. you're playing Pathfinder 2nd Edition. There are skill DCs and save DCs. For example, if you try to use the grapple action, you're going to attempt an athletics check versus the opponent's fortitude DC. So to determine their fortitude DC, you, the GM, are going to look at their fortitude modifier and add 10. Gotcha. So something calls for an athletics DC, you look at your athletics modifier and add 10. Correct. So if you have a 5, that's going to be a DC of 15. Cool, cool, cool. There's also some other common modifiers that you're going to want to just keep in the back of your mind. Flanking is a big one. If you and an ally go on opposite ends of an enemy, you're considered flanking, which gives that opponent a debuff called flat-footed, which means they have a minus 2 to their AC. If you remember, AC is a number that determines whether or not you're going to hit them or not. So it makes it easier to hit them. Difficult terrain makes movement costs double when you move into it or through it. Uh, we also have conditions, which are various effects that are usually negative. For example, sickened. You'll take a penalty to all checks and DCs equal to your sickened value, and you can't ingest anything. For example, potions while sickened. So if you're sickened three, I get a minus three to all my checks. Correct. Earlier when we were talking about death and dying, wounded and dying, those are both conditions. Also correct. When you move diagonally... Every other diagonal movement will cost 10 feet of movement instead of 5. Movement usually costs 5 feet of movement per square. Remember those battle mats we were talking about where each square is 5 feet? We'll talk more about that in the combat detailed episode. Uh, Just to clarify for diagonal movement, as it comes up quite a lot, it is not strictly consecutive diagonals. So you could move diagonally 5 feet, move laterally another 5 feet, then move diagonally again. That second diagonal is going to be 10 feet of movement, not 5. Right. Another thing you'll see a lot when you read the book are traits. Every action, feat, item, and creature has traits tied to them. Usually you'll see them listed right under the title. 
Pay attention, each trait means something special. Usually near where they're introduced, you'll get a definition for what they mean, or they're just so obvious you don't need a definition. For example, there's the attack trait. If you see that and you use that action, that means the next time you use an action with the attack trait, you're gonna get a minus five penalty, and then the next one accumulates, and now it's a minus 10 penalty on the same turn, of course. If you wanna go more in depth by yourself, on page 450 of the Core Rulebook, they have an in-depth step-by-step guide on how to apply damage with like every possibility and exception. It, it covers how to do checks completely. Well, Robert, I think we've given everyone all the tools they need to sit down and play a game of Pathfinder, second edition. If we haven't, are we failures, Caleb? No, we're critical failures. <laughs> like we were saying earlier, though, a lot of these other episodes, if you want more detail about a specific subject, just pursue that episode and you'll get more detail. Why don't we end this episode with some thoughts that people can take to heart that will make for a better experience for them in their game. Sure. And Robert, I hope you don't mind if I start with what I considered the biggest one, which is make sure everyone is there for the same game. Have everyone's expectations out in the open. So many problems can occur because one person was expecting to play one style of game and the GM was expecting to run a different kind of game. Oh, I thought we were going to roleplay. I thought we were just going to do dungeon crawl. This sort of thing. Get everyone's expectations out there. Another common mantra that you're going to hear a lot when it comes to tabletop RPGs is know your GM, know your players. And this just means get to know one another. Make sure that you get along. I mean, this is an interpersonal mm -hmm. experience. Uh, it can be combative at times. So making sure that you're all pals at the end of the day, it's going to be pretty important. Right. As you play with people, you get to know them better. And you, as like a GM, you can better prepare. Oh, this guy really likes this sort of thing. So I'm going to throw more puzzles in or these specific kind of puzzles I know he likes. Or, okay, when we get to town, every time John's going to go to the bar. So why don't next time I think of some cool NPCs for him to interact with at the bar? These sort of things. You guys will get to know each other and you really get to know your GM. That's going to be important too. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Billy likes to smash down every door before the uh, the rogue gets a chance to you know ply his trade. Actually make himself <laughs> feel useful. Maybe make it out of steel instead of wood. <laughs> or no, what you need to do, Robert, is you need to punish him. There is no carrots, only sticks in this game. <laughs> oh, you've knocked down the door. Well, guess what? That door was actually a mimic. And what's behind that? A real door that while you're all caught up in the mimic sticky goo, the thief can go over and unlock it. They're called rogues in this game. I, I, I've played Pathfinder. Perception is literally garbage. Don't make your players make perception checks for things you want them to see. It's a rule that proves a bigger one. Don't make players roll for everything, especially stuff that you're going to give them, even if they get a one. You'll learn what kind of game you all enjoy playing. For example, in the groups I play in, we often don't even roll for stuff if it's role played well enough. Everyone's different. Just try to be all on the same page. Don't make your players roll perception for everything. It's no fun. <laughs> it, it, just, it just takes time. <laughs> you, you won't need to roll perception to see my irritation. It's because I have sensitive skin. I was out in the sun for four minutes. I live a dungeon crawl life. You don't go outside. I have light vulnerability. I'm a vampire. Darn it. What about the white sandy beaches of New Jersey? <laughs> First off, if you think the <laughs> clean seashore of New Jersey, then you actually haven't been. <laughs> I think I have been to New Jersey, but I was like maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you navigate all the car fires? Oh, well, I left it in the hands of capable adults. Uh, okay, yeah. No, really, I remember... <laughs> I remember uh, I, I uh, volunteered for a church that had people coming from all across the country to do charity work. And it was so funny to hear some people from, I forget, it was a southern state they were from, maybe Tennessee. 
And then we're like, what's wrong with the roads here? And we're like, what do you mean? There's all these holes. I'm like, you don't have holes on roads that you come from? No. I'm like, well, welcome to New Jersey. (laughs) I should be careful how much I'm making fun of the roads, given that my uncle is literally the structural engineer for the New Jersey Turnpike and Garden State Parkway. All right. I remember uh, I was chatting with him. He's just like... If we actually had the money that was given to us, we could actually do things. But people end up taking the money from what's budgeted for the roads and do other garbage with it. Municipal politics, everyone. That's what you've come to 101 Basic Mechanics for. <laughs> I suppose it's a step up from the roads in Oklahoma, as most of those are gravel rather than pavement. <laughs> oh, I, I grew up in upstate New York, and, and gravel was the name of the game. And, and the biggest drama that happened in our little podunk town was guy who ran for mayor ran on paving the roads and he didn't do that in the years he was in charge oh what a failed no. promise it's almost like they're really expensive it just means that gravel goes from the roads to in the grass because we have so much snow the plows come through knock everything into the grass and so now all the ditches on the side of the road are just full of rocks a lot of farmer friends let me tell you the number one crop is in new york what's that rocks we're best at growing rocks. Well, the Oklahoma wildflower has broken down cars. <clears throat> well, now that we've gotten the uh, municipal politics out of the way, uh, another helpful tip that I find for for role-playing games is to just always try to read the room. This is whether you're the GM or a player. Now, if an interaction is making people uncomfortable or isn't well-received, maybe change tack. You have to be paying attention to notice that kind of thing so you can take action on it. And there's also Mm. nothing stopping you from separating yourself from the game itself for a moment to ask if this is something everyone is into. Like, if you're a player and you notice that a fellow player might be getting bored, maybe try to interact with them in character to get them to engage more. All it is is just being observant of the people at your table, and this can help your gameplay immensely. Like I said, you have to be aware and you got to be comfortable acting on it. Yeah. You never want to look back and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. They were obviously uncomfortable. Or no one enjoyed that. There was a session where we all just, everyone was bored. I could tell. Solve it in the moment. As a GM, you are leading the story, but everyone's telling the story together. There's something called railroading, which is a widely negative concept where the GM says, you know, this is what's going to happen in the story and forces it. No matter what the player's choices are, he's going to have you do this no matter what. That really hurts. Let everyone tell the story. Everyone have a hand in. As soon as people are no longer having a part in that story, that's where, you know, a lot of games die. Yeah, to expand on that, as a GM in particular, you have to be willing to let your plans fail. Like That's sort of what the game is. The player is mm. trying to overcome what you've set in front of them. So if, if they've taken a side route around what you had coming at them, let them have it. They earned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think sometimes even railroading is less of a negative concept. Like you're trying to like, you want your players to succeed. So you're like, oh, this happens anyway. You know, deus ex maca. Not that that's bad, but sometimes failure can, can lead to great storytelling as well. Ask yourself in the end of the day, what's your highest priority? Is it realism? Is it sticking to rules as written or raw? Or is it having fun and maintaining relationships? I mean, obviously, it's that last one. Let that be the driving force of your game. Don't get your priorities out of whack. Well, Robert, I'm so excited to get into the rest of this 100 series episodes. And on top of that, we've also got class overviews, ancestry overviews, book reviews. I mean, second edition, there's so much to cover. I'm so excited to be covering it with you oh you're warming my midwestern heart now roll a perception check to see how close we are to ending the episode natural 20 it doesn't matter if you got a one i would have told you this is the end (laughs) thank you all for listening class is dismissed
Trailblazer Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website at tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com. This is Johan Mertens. Thanks for listening.